You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hi, I'm Ralph Powell, co founder and CEO of Real Vision. Thank you so much for listening to the Real Vision podcast. At Real Vision, we pride ourselves on providing the best in-depth expert analysis available to help you understand the complex world of finance, business, and the global economy. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll accept my invitation to try Real Vision Plus for 30 days for just $1. Visit realvisionpodcast.com today and join us as we navigate the financial world together. Cheers. Human beings are susceptible to the power of suggestion. We always have been, and we always will be. That flaw in our character has been the foundation of one of the world's largest industries for over a century. Not only is that industry central to our everyday lives, but it's morphed and changed with each advance in technology to ensure that it remains both relevant and central to the human experience. Accordingly, it's also become one of the industries most sensitive to economic fluctuations, And, after a string of poor earnings announcements and the meteoric rise of two tech behemoths which have completely disrupted its traditional business model, not only are questions being asked about what its future may look like, but also about what its struggles tell us about the broader economy. This week, on Adventures in Finance, the advertising industry. Today is the 15th of March 2018 and welcome everybody to episode 58 of Adventures in Finance in the sunny Caribbean islands, at least I hope so, that's where he's supposed to be, is producer James. Are you there? Yep, I I made it out. I, I got out of the frozen north and very much you know, happy to be back. Now the frozen north, for those of you home assuming uh, James means the Arctic Circle, uh, he's not. He's talking about New York where he was last week with Alex, who remains in the frozen north. Alex, are you there? Yeah, it's, it's chilly. It's, it's not, you know, an, an ice castle, but, uh, but it, it's a little cold. But uh, hello, gentlemen. Anything below 70 is frozen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, good point, actually. Coming from America from the Cayman Islands, I, I understand what you're talking about, James, but you are, as usual, deluded, my friend. Completely <laughs> deluded. Now, this week, the subject at hand is the advertising market, um, which is something that I've been writing about for a while. Uh, and something I've taken a great deal of interest in because there are a lot of changes going on in the advertising market that perhaps people aren't aware of, but for the most part I'm sure they are because you can't go onto your computer these days without getting bombarded with advertising, but that is really changing the the shape of the industry. So we're going to talk about that this week, but before we do, uh, it's time to kick off with our long short segment. And as always, me being the consummate English gentleman, Alex, I'm going to let you go first. Okay. Very good. Well, uh, my my uh, long this week is King Dollar. King Dollar, okay. I think you know where I'm going with this. Uh, Larry Kudlow, uh, yeah. CNBC economic correspondent, and uh, I have to say my, my former colleague, uh, was named uh, the chairman of the economic of Trump's uh, economic council, taking the old job from Gary Cohn. And he took the unusual step of recommending 
that people uh, buy King Dollar and short gold in his in his interview with CNBC after his appointment. So uh, not every day you get a trading recommendation from the new uh, head economist <laughs> in this country, but there you have it, King Dollar. Well, that's so, so, so let me get straight. You are taking a recommendation based solely on Larry Kudlow. <laughs> Well, yeah, there might be a, a, just a slight tinge of irony there. I, I will say. Would, would you like to? Would you like to set up a hedge with something that Jim Cramer suggested? By any chance? It's not a bad idea. What, what did you think of his uh, comments? Like Grant? Long booyah and short <laughs> hoo hoo hoo. Maybe that might be uh, yeah. that might be a sensible trade. Um, look, it's it, the appointment. I don't think it came as a surprise to anybody. His name's right. been bandied around for some time. Um, I, I too was surprised about. Him making a, a long short recommendation on his first. Yeah, in, in fact, he could, he could join us for the segment. Yeah, no, exactly right, exactly right. Although uh, I, I would have taken the other side of that, but um, <laughs> uh, I just got back from the Malden Conference in in San Diego, which was a fantastic event this year. Actually, I have to say, one of the best I've been to. And uh, the dollar was uh, at the centre of a lot of the conversations. Uh, it certainly formed a big part of my presentation and plenty of other people. And I, and I have to say, the consensus was very much. Uh, actually almost almost unanimous that uh, longer term the dollar goes lower but we could be in for uh, a face-ripping rally in the short term so so a lot of the things people talked about including me um, were predicated upon waiting for that rally to to run its course uh, before before taking what I suspect will be a, a trade that you can run for for the next few years so I, I uh I would have to disagree with Mr. Cudlow, and it wouldn't be the first time. Well, my own my own long this year is class action lawsuits, uh, which seem to be springing up everywhere. But the one in uh, the one which caught my eye specifically is the one from an investor. I mean, I've had the stock watch running on this for a, a couple of weeks now. Uh, but an investor sued Credit Suisse on Wednesday, alleging that misstatements about guess what XIV. Uh, led for losses of people who bought it at inflated prices. I mean, this is, this was just a matter of time. But the XRV obviously went poof. It was an incredibly complex product. Um, and I think for all the people that, that bought it because they were told that being short vol is a great trade, and they finally uh, got woken up to, I, I guess, an anthrax track playing at full volume on their bedside radio. Um, you know, this thing went to zero overnight. And... A lot of people have lost a lot of money. And so this lawsuit, which was filed in uh, U.S. District Court in Manhattan, uh, said, that, uh, said that Credit Suisse manipulated the notes uh, because they, they liquidated their own holdings in various financial products to try and avoid a loss. Um, and, of course, the standard uh, piece about uh, statements about the products to investors being in, uh, incomplete. Now, this is a salutary tale and a clear warning for, for anybody that plays around in ETFs, which are designed to give you liquidity in what are inherently illiquid products. The XRV went to zero. Um, this is just the first of these lawsuits, and I feel certain there is going to be an absolute avalanche. And this thing was up 585% for the two years prior to when it went to zero, funnily enough. And obviously nobody was sending any lawsuits in about making outsized gains, but uh, we live in a world where people don't like to lose money. They've got very used over the last 10 years or so to making money without ever having any drawdowns. So I am long class action lawsuits, which I suspect are going to be coming out of our ears shortly. I, yeah, I must say, I'm, I'm not very sympathetic to this to this lawsuit and, and the others like it that, that I agree with you are coming. It, it's it, the, the product kind of did what it's meant to do. It, and and 
if the VIX uh, rose, uh, the volatility index rose, you know, three times or four times, uh, it would be unreasonable to expect Credit Suisse to take on all those losses since the, the it's only uh, one times reverse levered. So the, the fact that they wound it down when the, the VIX rose almost 100% really seems pretty reasonable to me. Uh, uh, cer- certainly, if you didn't know that that could happen, you weren't paying attention. And, and, and the documentation, to be fair, did not make that particularly clear. Um, it, it, you had to go to third-party sources to kind of understand that that event would happen. That, that said, uh, uh, it, it's more of a uh, know-what-you-own warning rather than a you know Wall Street firms are going to screw you kind of warning, in, in my opinion. Well, I, no, I agree completely. The, the difference here is you are a sophisticated investor, so you understand these things, but it's the people. I guarantee you the guy who's, who's uh, launched this lawsuit is a retail guy who read somewhere that buying short vol and took a recommendation from a website somewhere saying buy the XIV because mm-hmm. you can't lose. Um, and he had no idea what he owned, and he had no idea the dangers inherent in it. But that's that's my point. You know, these these ETFs that spring up, which which give people who shouldn't have it access to complex investment and trading strategies. Um, you know, the XIV was a good tool for, for sophisticated investors to use judiciously to manage their risk. But for people to buy and hold, it was it was completely ridiculous. And, and you're right, that wasn't made clear, I don't think. Yeah. But we'll see this play out. And as I said, I, I, I doubt we've seen the last of this, Alex. I doubt we've seen mm-hmm. the last of it. Well, I, I also am wearing a top coat and tails, which helps with the whole sophisticated investor angle. A top hat and tail. So, so do you look more like the guy from the Monopoly box or Mr. Planters, the peanut? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm kind of going for a more peanut-y look, yeah. Okay, so you, you have the monocle? Um, I, I'm working on the monocle and, and uh, I'm also working on a shell. So that once I have the shell. Excellent. Well, look, let's, let's get to the short side. What have you got for me on the short side this week? So I am, I am short uh, media coverage of the medical space. Okay. Um. The reason is that Elizabeth Holmes, the founder of Theranos, which was a, a blood testing company that didn't actually really test your blood the way it, it said it would, um, is agreeing to settle fraud charges uh, that she raised over $700 million fraudulently, and she's settling with the SEC, and is going to be fined a pretty reasonable half a million dollars. And if you go back and look at some of the media coverage around Elizabeth Holmes when she was at her highs rather than lows, it was... It was kind of amazing that there's a very, very long article in The New Yorker by, by Ken Aletta. I'm actually not sure how you pronounce his name, but um, where he really writes in glowing terms about the company and ends it with this scene where she, um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll just read it to you, where her, her mother told me, as a parent, I do hope that at some point she will have time for herself. This concern is lost on homes. The plane has reached cruising altitude far above a bank of clouds, and another green vegetable drink has materialized in her hand. Quote, I have done something, and we have done something that has changed people's lives, she told me. And it's tempting to blame uh, the writer here, but, you know, if, if I was writing about this medical testing company, I would have no idea what was going on either. And, and I, I, as these technologies are getting more complicated and, and as real life is beginning to resemble uh, fantasy novels, it, it, it's kind of a hard road where you're trying to figure out if people are telling the truth or not about the, the company they're founding. Well, the problem is we're, we are desperately seeking celebrities in this day and age. And so any success story, uh, it's almost a race of, of journalists falling over themselves to make a bigger yeah. celebrity out of that person. I, mean, I remember the Theranos uh, hype well. And and I, there was always something that just felt a bit gratuitous about the whole thing. I, I, I mean, I didn't know it was a fraud, obviously, but I, right. uh, 
I had I remember at the time thinking, yeah, this is a lot of fuss to be made about about this person and this company and this uh this whole business. So um it's no great surprise to me that uh me there's gonna be a lot of those great articles that the internet preserves for us for all of time where we can look back and go, What were you thinking? Akin to Paul Krugman's comments about the internet back in nineteen ninety whenever it was. Well, that's the other thing is that is that you can't uh, you know go back and it, it's hard to find an old newspaper article about you know Charles Ponzi and what a great investor he was, but yes. uh, but you just <laughs> exactly look up Elizabeth right. Holmes and this is on the first page of uh, exactly right. the links forever. Well, I mean, I, I guess our only hope now is that whatever's whatever kind of fraud she's pulled gets called a Holmes scheme in future. Maybe maybe she can preserve herself like that. All right, listen, my short this week um, are Russians, but a very specific hmm. group of Russians, and that is Russian aircraft engineers and maintenance crews. Um, it's a fantastic story about a plane that was taking off um, in Yakusha. Okay. Uh, and and for those of you unaware where Yakusha is, it is the capital of uh, the Saka Republic in the Russian Federation. And this plane was taking off carrying $378 million of uh, gold, diamonds, and platinum. Uh, nine tons of gold plus a bunch of uh, diamonds and platinum. When, as it was about to take off, the uh, cargo door opened and the nine tons of gold, $378 million, was scattered all over the runway as it took off. No. Um, yeah. Now, uh, the, the plane apparently was, was fine. It, 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 it flew up. It made an emergency landing at McGann and then turned straight around, came back, picked up all the stuff and went off again. <laughs> so, it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's basically like a FedEx guy that has a package fall out the back of his truck. Um, but the beauty of this story is uh, they, 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 there's a fantastic picture on the internet of, it says, the police cordoned off the runway where the precious metals scattered and switched the airport to an enhanced control mode. Now, the photograph shows a runway littered with oh precious God. metals, rocks, stones, and four guys standing around with their hands in their pockets looking at it. It's just, <laughs> this is enhanced control road in Yakusha. So the, um, the, 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 the cargo belonged to the Chakota Mining and Geological Company. Um, apparently 75% of whom is owned by the Canadian company Kinross Gold. So no doubt this will be all over the Canadian media at, at some time soon. But there's another fantastic picture of the cargo doors. I mean, it literally looks like this was too heavy and it's fallen through the bottom of the plane. So um, I guess the moral of the story is if you do want to ship nine tons of gold anywhere, get yourself, uh, get yourself a different plane than the Nimbus Airlines AN-12 and don't have it serviced in Russia. Well, of course, now that Larry Kudlow short gold, I'm, I'm sure that they were they were hardly bothering to pick it up off the runway. Well, maybe this was an attempt to put that trade on. Uh, yeah, <laughs> let, let's uh, when when someone told them maybe we should dump our gold, perhaps uh, perhaps they took them too literally. There is there is interestingly enough there is a Yakusha Media News Agency. So I have to wonder hmm. what the staff is like there and how how many stories a day they've got. To, it's probably you know one guy. In a in a dusty shed somewhere with it with a cup of coffee and a cigarette on the go, just waiting for the phone to ring all day. Can you imagine the day that this happened? <laughs> I, I'd be curious what uh, entrepreneurs they write glowing stories about there. Yeah, I I don't know. There, there will there will be a um, there will be some sort of biotech company in uh, in Yakusha which is doing great things, which will be all over the cover of the Yakusha Globe or Globe and Mail or whatever it's called. Anyway, enough of falling gold and diamonds and falling biotech. Uh, stars let's get into the feature of the day which is as we mentioned earlier the advertising agency yeah so wpp the advertising giant uh has, has not had a particularly good uh 
year or, or even few years, um, reported some really terrible results at the beginning of this month. And Grant, you've been ahead of this story for a long time, so I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to really dig into it with, with you and, and find out all about what's going on. Yeah, you know, uh, WPP is, is one of the, the, the world's biggest advertising agencies. I mean, it's, it's a true giant, and it's run by a very charismatic guy, Sir Martin Sorrell, uh, in the UK. And yeah, the story is actually a fascinating one, but not many people know that WPP actually stands for Wire and Plastic Products because the company was originally um, uh, made shopping baskets in the UK. And Sorrell actually bought into the company uh, after leaving Saatchi and Saatchi in, I think, 1985. And he borrowed a whole uh, bunch of money against his Saatchi and Saatchi shares, about, uh, I guess, just, just shy of three-quarters of a million dollars, which is a lot of money back then. Mm. And he basically ended up taking over uh, this wire and plastic products and, and turning that company into an advertising agency. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, he, had, he bought 30% of the, of the shares, and you know, 20 years later, this company was an absolute juggernaut. So, he, I mean, he, he did an incredible job. Yeah, and he pursued this string of increasingly improbable uh, acquisitions, it seems. Yeah, it, you know, it was amazing what he did. He, he, as soon as he basically joined WPP, uh, he just started acquiring businesses, below-the-line businesses, you know, direct marketing and sales promotion businesses, um, which at the time were incredibly unloved. Um, he did a fantastic job of, of taking these businesses, consolidating them and incorporating them into the WPP's existing business. But in 1987 he did something absolutely extraordinary. He launched a hostile takeover for what was one of the biggest advertising agencies in the world, J. Walter Thompson in the U.S. And this, this was a company which traced its origins all the way back to before the U.S. Civil War. Uh, and they had about an 80% share of all advertising placed uh, through the company back in the sort of uh, late 19th century. And when he bid for it, J.W. Thompson was 13 times the size of WPP, and they, they'd had a couple of, just a couple of bad years, uh, and Sorrell had access to cash. So he borrowed a bunch of money, and uh, he managed to effect a hostile takeover at J.W. Thompson, which is something in that industry was absolutely unheard of. It was a very gentlemanly business where everybody had an agreement that you just don't do that. You don't go after each other's clients. Uh, anyone that's watched Mad Men will probably have a, a different take on this. But what he did was absolutely remarkable. You know, a couple of years later, after this J.W. Thompson deal, which really did shake up the, the industry, um, he went on and bid $864 million for the Ogilvy Group. Uh, you know, th th this, this takeover almost bankrupted WPP, but he got the deal done. And so here we are with a, a young man who has consolidated three of the big advertising agencies in the world, but that wasn't enough for him. He decided to go out, and in 2000, he bought Young and Rubicam, which was uh, a much, much bigger price tag at $5.5 billion. So, you know, th this, this arms race in the advertising agency was, was truly extraordinary. I mean, Sorrell did all the things that you do in this case. He, he cut um, staff, uh, cut overheads, and he built a fabulous, fabulous business. And he was also, kind of a side note, but I read uh, in, in your work that he was also forced to cut clients because... If brand X was there, then brand Y didn't want to be there too. Well, of course, this is the problem with, with consolidation in the advertising industry. Uh, the, your clients are all in heated competition with each other and they tend not to want to have the same advertising agency representing them. If you look across most industries, you'll see that to be the case. So as you, as you lessen the number of available advertisers, you, you make a real problem for the clients. And, and this is we'll come back to this shortly, I'm sure, because that's uh, becoming a much, much bigger problem. It's funny because one of the 
theories I've always heard about advertising is that it doesn't necessarily get you new clients, but it just plays defense. So if you see a Coke ad, as long as you see a Pepsi ad right after, you might stay a Pepsi drinker. Um, but but tell us what's going on now with WPP, because this this is not no longer seems like a company at the, at the top of the world. Well, no. I mean, they've had they've had a series of of pretty bad results. It has to be said, the last uh, three years have been incredibly trying for them. Um, you know, first of all, in in March, well, in March of last year, they had uh, very poor numbers. The shares fell about six or seven percent, which which seems like a bad uh, downfall in, in markets that we've seen going up. Uh, but this was attributed to political and economic uncertainty in Europe, um, which looking forward, and this was. During the early days of Brexit, negotiations were continuing and, and uh, Sorrell warned that there could be some problems. But then just a couple of months later, right across the advertising spectrum, we saw a bunch of huge cuts to advertising budgets. Unilever um, cut uh, 30% of their ads and reduced the number of consultants they hired by about 40%. And, and this was one of WPP's biggest clients. We saw a similar thing with uh, Procter & Gamble. You know, These are big, big companies that pay... Uh, advertising agencies, an absolute fortune. And Sorrell uh, gave a presentation to um, to his investors and he put up a fantastic slide which summed up the problems facing not just WPP but the ad industry. And it had four quarters on this slide, one which said low GDP growth, one that said low or no inflation, one that said little pricing power, and one that said high focus on costs. And if you put those four things together, you have the perfect storm for the advertising agency. And it's a very, very bad thing to be in the middle of. So in some ways, the, the irony for me is that I see more ads now than, than I ever could have imagined seeing you know, 10 years ago or, or certainly 50 or 100 years ago. It, we're served with ads on, on every website we go to. It, it seems like someone's got to make all these ads, buy all these ads. It, it, it would seem like a good time to be an ad man or, or ad woman. Well, you say that, but there's, there's those ads that you're getting served are served to you essentially nowadays by two people, and that's Google and Facebook. And if you look at the numbers uh, as to what uh, Google has done, in 2002, their revenue from advertising was about $400 million. Uh, in 2016, it was $79 billion. And you look at the chart of advertising revenue for Google and Facebook, and it's, it's truly extraordinary. And these two guys are making all the advertising dollars now, putting tremendous pressure on all the big, uh, all the big um, advertising agencies, WPP, Omnicom, Publicist IPG, they're all getting hurt uh, by this massive shift to online advertising. And Facebook and Google are absolutely killing them. Is that because they're the middleman being cut out? or it, Look, it's, 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 a, it's a combination of things. The middleman is being cut out to an extent, but at the end of the day, most people are now being served their ads um, through their browsers, through Google, through Facebook. And, and to get to them, you have to go through those gateways, and, and they are making a phenomenal uh, job of, of making choke points there which stop people getting around them and and they really are just putting everybody out of business when you look at uh, the revenue that google and facebook generate you know 90 percent of it um, plus comes from uh advertising so of course they've they've got the choke point they're completely in control of that and and they're using it to their own advantage which is at the disadvantage of the likes of wpp now, now before we move i, I want to move on to talk about google and facebook more directly but in terms of WPP, I mean, are they trying to do a more digital strategy? Like, like what's their counter counter? Well, of course, strategy? they have to. I mean, they, they have to try and do that. Yeah, but sure. it, but it's but it's very very difficult. It's very difficult when you have the gatekeepers. And, and you know, we've we've talked before in this podcast about potential um, 
Department of Justice investigations and possible breakups of monopolies with people like Google and Facebook. And and here is where you see uh, the sharp end of this because they really do have the ability to completely own this industry. And and it's a real problem, not just for the for the um, WPPs of the world, but obviously given what we've seen in terms of talk about the kind of ads Facebook has been serving people throughout the U.S. election, you know, every headline that um, mm-hmm. that gets put about Russian interference in the U.S. elections is another nail in the freedom of Google and Facebook. Because at some point, I suspect, possibly by the end of this year, we're going to have talk about a DOJ investigation, antitrust violations, et cetera, et cetera. Because uh, it's in so many people's best interest to to break up and lessen the stranglehold that these two companies have on the advertising business because that's where human beings are at at their most manipulated. So do you see what's happening to WPP as a a forward indicator of maybe more general weakness in the advertising market that'll hit Google and Facebook? Or or is it, you know, they're just eating everybody's lunch and, and they're going to continue to do so until the regulators crack down? Well, what's interesting to me is if you look at um, WPP's chart, you'll see uh, going back 25 years, um, it correlates perfectly with the S&P 500. You know, you, you overlay the two charts and you can barely see that there's two lines there. And, you know, and this makes sense because advertising spend is one of the most sensitive spends that companies have. And so when they feel things are slowing down, they tend to pull back on advertising, as we've seen with Unilever and, and Procter & Gamble and a bunch of other big companies. And, and that chart um, in 2016 started to diverge significantly. WPP started to go down as these, as these bad numbers came in. And the S&P, which historically would have followed it as a, as a sign that the economy was weakening, just took off in the other direction. So that, that was a big um, sign for me. I, I suspect they're going to catch up, and I suspect that the uh, WPP chart is not about to turn around and go straight up. But you know, since then, it's only gotten worse. You know, this, this, this advertising industry is under tremendous pressure. We've had bad results essentially for about eight or nine quarters now, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. So I, I, what, what I find interesting, Alex, is, that, is, the, is the, the fantastic barometer of the strength of the overall economy that the advertising business shows, and, and, and it's, it's not a great sign. But if WPP's problem is really Facebook and Google, then then maybe it doesn't serve the same purpose as an indicator that it used to. Well, that's, that's quite possible. Yes, it's absolutely possible. Um, but it's amazing how uh, dramatically that, those charts began to diverge, essentially back in 2016. They, I mean, they, it's literally, you can see it's almost on one day. They've just suddenly decided to go in the other direction. And I, and I don't think with all the amount of uh, time and thought that's gone into covering Facebook and Google the last few years, this, this shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody. And maybe it wasn't, and maybe it just speaks to the kind of markets we've had where everything just kind of went up and disregarded the news. You know, and I've, I've said this for years, that nothing matters to anybody until it matters to everybody. And this is a perfect example of that. So yes, that you, you may have a point there, Alex, but I suspect it's, uh, it's part of a broader, but very slow-moving understanding of the general weakness in the economy. So do you see that weakness rolling into the Facebooks and Googles of the world Next is is WPP you know, the front lines of advertising, and then these big tech companies will get hit as well. Yeah, I think it'll have to because you know what was interesting when when Procter and Gamble cut out their marketing spend, they cut a hundred million dollars in digital marketing spend because they did a survey uh, back in June of two thousand and seventeen, sixteen, sorry, and that survey said that uh, the digital ads were largely ineffective. Basically, people didn't watch them. 
people just clicked uh, away from them and really weren't paying attention. So you know, when you look at this, you look at the total advertising spend in the media is going down. You look at the fact that the, the, the place that's being targeted is digital ad spending, which is where all these big advertisers have moved towards. And you read stories by people that spend multiple hundreds of billions a year on advertising saying that digital ads are not worth the money. That's a problem not just for the WPP, not just for the old advertising world, but it's a big problem for Google and Facebook also. Yeah, and in fact, you quoted in uh, your Things That Make You Go, hmm, uh, a fellow co-founder of Real Vision, Ralph Paul, as he talked about what it was like to go out and do digital advertising for this company, Real Vision. Yeah, we had a, we had a, an extraordinary experience doing this. You know, Ralph wrote about it absolutely brilliantly. Um, we, we went to Google and were and were you know the red carpet was rolled out for us and we got all kinds of promises about how they would put ads down the pipes and then with with all the data that was coming in they would retarget them and make sure that all our ads were going to exactly the right people. Um, and nothing happened. I mean, we spent a fortune uh, on this program and, and we couldn't understand why nothing was happened. And we were getting a bunch of traffic to our sites, but none of it was converting into either free trials or subscriptions. Uh, and it seemed, once we did some in-house um, investigations, that nearly all the traffic was coming from two places, California and Amsterdam. And it looked as though all this was just being driven by bots, so, you know, we, we, we had our own, we were nothing like the P&Gs of the world. To us, it was an awful lot of money. To, to P&G, it would be you know, a rounding error. But to us, it was, it was money completely wasted. We, we saw very little, if any, positive returns from spending a lot of money to, um, to, to Google. Uh, it, was, it was a complete flop. And, and that really surprised both of us. Uh, and made us have to rethink our entire advertising strategy. And, and I think a lot of other people are going to have to do the same. Although, to be fair, people always go to Amsterdam to consume uh, online financial media, I think. Yes, exactly right. <laughs> I believe there are other things people go to Amsterdam to to uh, consume, and, and perhaps the two are well-suited with each other. <laughs> so, 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 Grant, how do you see all this uh, playing out? Maybe you can just start with uh, WPP itself, and then Facebook's and Google's of the world, and, and then maybe, maybe the overall economy. Well, I think they've got a problem. I mean, they've got a real problem here, because... I think you have to start with the economy and then go backwards, Alex, is the right way to do it. The, you know, the economy is supposedly firing on all cylinders. And yet, you know, here we are uh, a few months away from what will be the longest expansion uh, in history. And we're still at an interest rate level that implies crisis. And so, you know, the economy is not standing on its own two feet because we have interest rates at just over 1%. We still have massive QE from the uh, from the central banks outside the Federal Reserve, and so this narrative that the economy is strong is just a fallacy. It, it just it simply is not true, and, and advertising is one of the most sensitive industries on the planet to to the strength of the economy. So, of course, if you work backwards from a weak economy, you're going to see weak advertising, you're going to see um, declining ad spends, you're going to see weak revenues. And when you look at uh, the percentage of their revenues, as I said, above 90% that make up the returns for Facebook and Google, those two guys, I think, have a big problem coming. Um, right now, they're, they're still part of the, uh, the FANG phenomenon, um, and people aren't really trading them as individual companies as we used to, but more part of a momentum strategy or part of a bunch of ETFs. But I think if, if people start to look 
at them as companies and research them as companies, just as the advertising agency have done. You know, the ad agencies have all fallen away from being almost perfectly correlated with the S&P. Uh, and the fact that the FANG stocks are leading the S&P, by definition, means that they're correlated with that. But at some point, this reality is going to hit. And, it, and it's a problem. You know, Facebook ads cost almost 25% more now than they did a year ago. So the prices are going up, the effectiveness is going down. And that's not really a great business model. All right. In closing, Grant, when's the last time you bought something based on an ad you saw? Do you know, do you know it's a great question, actually. Uh, funny enough, I, I don't remember. But what I do remember is Googling things online that, that on Amazon or wherever, looking for things that I do need. And it's amazing how, and I'm sure everybody listening to this has noticed this, those ads get served up to me every time I go into a browser for months afterwards. I mean, it's truly extraordinary. Thankfully, I wasn't looking for anything remotely sketchy. <laughs> I seem to remember it, it being a, 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 a backpack. But uh, after looking for an innocent backpack, I got served ads of backpacks on every site I went to for, for months afterwards. So, so I, you know, I, to, to me, I, I click through at the first chance I get on a YouTube video where it says skip ad, I skip it. I mean, I, I just don't look at any of these ads, and, and I'm sure I'm not in the minority here. So I, I think this whole industry is ripe for a massive shakeup. Well, very good. Uh, so I, I don't want to make this podcast just about uh, us. So let's bring in another guest. Let's bring in Daniel Ives from GBH Insights, who I think Grant might have a different perspective on the advertising market than you. Dan, welcome to Adventures in Finance. Great to be here. We've been talking about uh, what's going on in the advertising market, and, and there were some really uh, disappointing results from WPP, um, you know, not just, just recently, the beginning of this month, but really over the past year and, and maybe even more. I guess, wh- what's your most general sense of, of how the whole advertising business is looking? <clears throat> I mean, look, there's been a renaissance of growth in advertising, and, and a lot of it, it's transformed on the digital side as well, as it's become that much more difficult to garner engagement and eyeballs. And I think the biggest transition you've seen is it go from offline to online. And I think those companies like WPP that have been able to, through acquisitions as well as organically, make that sort of transformation successfully, it's paid dividends. And now you're seeing a lot more advertising focus on social media as well as digital platforms. Yeah, so, so it's interesting. So I, I just spoke to... Uh... Well, he's on the line still, but but Grant and I were talking about this, and and, and Grant had kind of a view that the WPP uh, results is almost indicating something bad, uh, not not just about the advertising market, but but maybe even about the overall economy, and and that you know you're seeing a slump in these companies, you're seeing a, a kind of a backlash to Facebook and and Google's advertising. Um, what do you make of that that? general thesis that this weakness in WPP kind of points to something more significant going on with the, maybe the consumer overall. I wouldn't read too much into that. I mean, look, I kind of view it that you have a more advanced consumer when it comes to online. So, so when you think about it from an advertising perspective, we've seen with the newsfeed overhaul on Facebook, but you've also seen, you've seen a resurgence of growth with Twitter. You've seen other platforms that have successfully garnered advertising, and that's obviously a big focus with Snap. And when you look at Instagram and Facebook, I think there have been some speed bumps, but I continue to view that as long-term bullish. That's a 
20% long-term grower over the next three to five years in terms of that digital advertising. So, so Dan, I, I was fascinated by um, the reasons given by particularly Procter & Gamble. They did a big survey last year, and they cut $100 million from their digital advertising uh, spend because the results of that survey were, were conclusive, that, that they, the ads just weren't working, these digital online ads. People just aren't, aren't engaging with them, aren't, aren't buying things through them. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Look, I think it's been an uphill challenge in terms of the algorithms and trying to find the right engagement and strategy online. Look, it's been a tough nut to crack. I think the issue is is that these companies are faced with, with more and more engagement online, the digital strategies and advertising, and obviously the social media platforms in front and center, but I also think Amazon and others down the road could see you know, advertising is another kind of notch in their belt. It's become a necessary evil for these large, especially CPG and others, to heavily invest tens and tens of millions of dollars um, into these campaigns, even though you could say a lot of them have not really been overly successful. And I think it continues to be a sort of challenge in this space for everyone involved. But yeah, the, the the implications of this, you know, I think are, are quite profound because the the advertising industry generally leads the economy. Uh, the ad spenders do tend to pull back. If you look at charts going back you know, multiple decades, you'll see that the ad companies start reducing their spending right before downturns in the economy, and we've definitely seen that. I mean, we've we've had a concentration effect through Google and Facebook, obviously, and, and I think your point about Amazon is a great one. I think Amazon is now taking a tremendous amount of search traffic from Google, um, and so it would make sense to me, too, for them to get into the advertising business and kind of own their own uh, ads on their platform. But still, you know, I, I get the sense from looking at the results of the big advertising agencies and what they're doing with their dollars and it tells me that the, the problem may not necessarily be with the advertising agency, but with the consumer who may not be as strong as, as uh, the sort of positive headlines might have you, su- have you su- suggest. Look, it's a, it's a good point, and especially given the historical and, and with advertising as, a, as an indicator. Look, the one thing I tell you is, is that from all of our research on the consumer side in terms of whether it's resurgence in retail spend, whether it's been e-commerce spent through Amazon, it continues to show strength, at least we believe, going into um, 2018, at least through the end of the year. Look, I think there have been soft spots. I think advertising, too, has become, it's become uh, a quagmire for some of these companies in terms of investment dollars and now, I think it's something we're keeping an eye on in terms of from consumer weakness. But right now, I continue to think it's much more advertising based and issues with the business models as they continue to try to find success rather than indicator that this could be a broader canary in the coal mine for consumer weakness. I'm just interested if you take the broad view, Dennett, if you know in 10 years you see the biggest companies in America and in the world spending more or less on advertising than they are now? I think they'll be spending more than they will now. The only difference is, is that I think it is going to be much less through traditional channels and much more through 
the channels we know today, digital, social, but I think there's going to be a whole other sort of genre of the digital ecosystem that spawns other advertising opportunities. So I do think it's going to increase. I just think the way that the spend is going to happen, who are going to be the beneficiaries, it might not be WPPs. It might be when you think about advertising, it might be some of the non-traditional advertising players that now are media or tech giants that start to, you know, Amazon could be one of them that starts to go to more and more share. But net net, we continue to think advertising increases uh, over the next five, 10 years. Do, do you think this will be paid advertising? In other words, do you think it'll be, you know, buying an ad here or there on a website or, or maybe not on television so much, but, or do you think it'll be more um, kind of strategic social media advertising things, things that don't look like ads? I'm just kind of curious what you see the, the character of the environment looking like. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point because especially with what we've seen with the newsfeed overhaul and fake news and especially a lot more focus regulatory-wise on social media and you've seen the crypto ads that have been taken down now by Google. I believe it's going to be paid, but I think more of it is going to be around engagement, potential click-through, and other means of advertising to capture eyeballs and capture mind share of the consumer online. And that could be be through the TV set, whether it's Amazon Prime, as well as other streaming platforms um, or, or social media. So I think it's going to be in a number of forms, but I do think to your point, the advertising model is going to have to transform as you're getting a smarter consumer that is not clicking through and not being engaged. And I think a lot of these companies that have spent like a P&G $100 million are you know, starting to go back to the drawing board and figure out the strategy for the next five, 10 years. Yeah, Dan, you bring up a great point there when you talk about Amazon. Obviously, TV advertising has been one of the biggest growth drivers in ad spend for decades. We've seen that tail off. And with the move towards... Uh, the Netflix model, the Amazon Prime model, uh, being able to watch things on HBO when you go and download them to your iPads. Obviously, one of the biggest platforms for advertising spend is moving on the part of the customer away from advertising. Uh, you know, customers don't want to watch ads. They, they, they want to just flick through and watch the content without it. And, and every single quasi-TV growth experience that we're seeing now is in ad-free uh, pure content spend, and yes, while they can, um, they could start to put adverts on Netflix. I guess you, you get the sense that a their revenue model doesn't necessarily need that; it'll be a nice kicker for them. And b their audience doesn't want it. So, so what happens in the TV space from here? Look, there's definitely challenges, right? I mean, and you've seen from traditional media, and I think it speaks to some of the moves that Disney and Iger have made with the Fox acquisition in terms of just betting heavily on streaming. But, but I do think from an advertising perspective, I think you're going to see less ads, but also I think pricing power increases. I mean, I think from an ad load perspective, you know, with less, we'll call it inventory, pricing could increase. But that's why traditional TV, traditional media, it's so um, clear about content and driving engagement for subscribers 
and making sure that in this cord cutting environment, they're going to continue to be relevant players in advertising, even though the overall share could decrease and that advertising show up in other areas, whether it's social media, digital streaming. But that's also why every traditional media company, as well as telco company, from a Verizon to a Comcast to a Disney, streaming is front and center because they need to have a strategy that is their traditional strength, but also one that gives them a significant foot on the streaming side because that's where potentially streaming and or social media is where a lot of the advertising dollars could come through. So if, if you had, uh, I'm going to give you a, a bit of a thought experiment here, but if you had $1 to invest in a- a- anything or any company or any, any person that will benefit from these changes in advertising, it can be a public company, it can be an, an ad tech startup, it could be um, you know, a, a content creator. Who really stands to benefit the most from these uh, changes you're outlining? Yeah, I mean, look, if I had a dollar today in terms of who stands to benefit, ultimately, it's Facebook and Google that are going to be the primary beneficiaries of this. Forget the, the news feed overall at Facebook. But I think you're going to see more and more of that advertising pot going toward them. And those 70% that they own today, I think Tangentiaga Twitter could be another beneficiary. But that's on even though it's non-traditional as WPP and others are, you know, obviously the advertising giants, that's where I would sort of invest in terms of this being just another notch on that belt in terms of that growth piece. Dan, do do you see, as I do, a threat here um, to Facebook and Google in that they have become um, huge choke points for advertising campaigns for advertising spend and they're also getting a lot of negative headlines in terms of how those dollars are spent we've obviously seen all the all the russian uh, election Mm -hmm. stuff going on they they provide very convenient targets for someone like for example the department of justice and antitrust uh, investigation and this to me seems almost inevitably to be in their future somewhere do you do you see that as a threat or i do or or am i completely out of my mind which has happened before the biggest risk to those names is regulatory from across house. I mean, you know, you've seen them all face Congress, you know, post Russian meddling. And I think that's why they've had to play nice in the sandbox with the newsfeed overhaul, the crypto advertising and some of these other areas, because what we've seen happen over the last 18 months, they become more powerful, but then we've seen the negative side of social media. So I do think that it is a slippery slope for those guys, and they're going to have to continue to have our branches and handhold, not just within the Bellway, but also within the EU, because that probably represents the biggest lingering risk out there is the potential crosshairs of regulators. But that's why I think proactively they're trying to remedy those situations, and anytime they see some gray area, like let's say crypto advertising, that they'll decide to to just ban that like Google is rather than create just more clouds for them to deal with. So Dan, thanks so much for joining us, providing a different perspective on the advertising market. Where can people find more of your thoughts? 
Yeah, so a chief strategy officer and, and head of technology, GBH Insights. So uh, you can visit our website or, you know, give, give us a call or email. And, uh, and we really appreciate uh, inviting us on. And, uh, you know, it was great to talk with you guys. Thanks, Dan. Yeah. So, Grant, uh, are, are you convinced that the advertising market's actually in good shape? I remain unconvinced, I hate to say. I mean, that makes some good points. Um, but I, I still think... Um, I think every industry has a rosy outlook. I think that's that's human nature. We're optimistic creatures by uh, by definition. But when you look at it, when you look at historically what slowing ad spend has meant for the economy, it's not good. And I think everywhere you look, you do see stresses the consumer. And we went through this, uh, you know, earlier in our discussion, Alex, about about the potential state of the economy versus the sort of optics of it. And I think um, I think you have to be cognizant of that when looking at the advertising market and, uh, and i think there are just plenty of headwinds and very few tailwinds right now so to me uh, the wpp results are, are not the end of uh, of the story i think um, i think we're in the middle of this thing and i think it's going to get worse before it gets better yeah but personally I, I'm, I'm not sure whether or not i agree agree with your view of the overall economy however um I, I was thinking about the last time i bought something based on that and it was probably something i didn't know was an ad you know it was could I th- see things online on, on Reddit or on Twitter um, that sound like exciting products and I, I go and buy them? And, you know, m- maybe it was uh, placed by a, a very right. clever, you know, uh, marketing person at that company or, or third-party marketing person. Um, it, the business of buying and selling ads to me doesn't seem destined to, to do well, no matter what the economy does, frankly. Well, they, listen, they would have to be clever to get past you and sneakily well. get you to buy something without realizing <laughs> it. That's for damn sure. Well, well I'm sophisticated, Grant. Exactly right. Exactly right. Well, that concludes another episode of Adventures in Finance. Now, before we go, you all know it's coming. Uh, hopefully, you're not fast-forwarding through this important information from our lawyers. Our legal disclaimer. Anything you heard on this episode should not be considered as trading advice. These are our opinions and the opinions of our wonderful contributors. So do your fundamental research, chart your technicals, place your stops, and please always trade responsibly. We'll be back next week, but in the meantime, if you've got an interesting question about this week's show, then we would love to hear from you. So send us an email or leave us a voice note at podcast at realvision.com. And if you really liked what you heard, please subscribe on iTunes and even leave a review. Yes, we love those reviews, so please leave a good one. Yes, we do love them. We love them every bit as much as James' voice suggests. (laughs) Keep up to date with the latest interviews, research publications, and of course, podcast episodes. Then follow us on Twitter at Real Vision. We're also on Facebook and LinkedIn. Just search for Real Vision. And you will find us. It's like magic. You can follow me on Twitter at TTMYGH. You can follow me on Twitter at Aces Rose. You can follow me on Twitter at AIF James. You can indeed. That's it from us. Thank you so much for joining us. We will see you next week. Bye-bye. (laughs) <laughs> you got to leave that in. I love that. podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads go to lipsandads.com now that's l-i-b-s-y-n ads.com